0: Welcome to Gilbert Church. Really good to have you with us today if you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online. As you can see, last weekend was an incredible one in the life of our church. We held our baptism service out at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, and we always say it's like the book of Acts. I mean, it feels that way anyway. The hill is filled with people, and then we baptize in the lake, and wanted to let you know that we had 916 people get baptized last Sunday. Isn't that amazing? 916 people who are now declaring they have found new life in Jesus Christ. And there's all sorts of pictures that I could show you from this day, but I just wanted to show you one that really moved me personally. This is a senior at Mounds View High School. And every time you turn on the news these days, it's just bad stuff. And it's depressing stuff. And I looked at this picture and I thought, wow, that's, that's some good news That's a person who's found joy and life in Jesus Christ, and it's a picture of what God wants for every single one of us. You know, when I'm in the water and I'm baptizing people, oftentimes I'll ask them, what brought you to be baptized today? And I had one woman last Sunday say it was my divorce. It was the most painful thing I've ever gone through, but God got me through that. And here I am today to be baptized. I had another woman say it was the death of my child. When my daughter passed away, I didn't have any idea how I was going to get through that. But God lifted me up, and here I am today. And I thought that leads really well into the series that we're kicking off this weekend. It's called Shatterproof. And it's based on a letter in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians, specifically on chapter 4, verse 8. Where Paul writes this, he says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed or broken. We're perplexed. We don't get it, but we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. Paul was shatterproof. He was pressed by trouble, but he wasn't broken or crushed. He didn't understand it. He was perplexed as to why this was happening to him, but he didn't give up. He got knocked down, but he would get up again. Wouldn't it be something if you and your family could say the same thing? That wouldn't it be amazing if you knew that you wouldn't be broken or crushed by all of your trouble? Or that even if you got knocked down by an illness or a criticism or a bad decision, that you knew that you could get back up again? I believe that by the power of Jesus Christ, God is going to use this series to do just that in some of your lives. He is going to make you shatterproof. Now, I mentioned earlier that this series is based on a letter in the New Testament called 2 Corinthians. And just so you know, it's not 2 Corinthians. It appears that way in your Bible. It's the number 2 Corinthians, but it's not like a joke. 2 Corinthians walked into a bar sort of thing. (laughs) It's 2 Corinthians, and the reason why it's called that is because it's Paul's second letter to the people of Corinth. His first letter is also in the Bible, and that's called 1 Corinthians. Yes, they've kept it very simple for us. Now, at the time that Paul wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians... The city of Corinth was a rather large ancient city. About 90,000 people lived there, which was big by ancient standards. It was also an influential city. It was situated on two main harbors that ran alongside the main trade routes of the Asian and Roman trade routes of that day. Here's a picture of where Corinth is currently. It's in the country of Greece, modern-day Greece. And this country, at the time that Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians... The city of Corinth was known as a wealthy and worldly city. If you're going to ask someone, well, what's Corinth like? If someone lived there, they'd say, well, it's a wealthy city and it's a very worldly city. In fact, as you read through 1 Corinthians, you can see that those two characteristics started to influence the Christians living there. Several years ago, a pastor did a series on 1 Corinthians that he titled Christians Gone Wild. And that's really what this is. In 1 Corinthians, Paul confronts the church, because some Christians were getting drunk during communion. He then confronts a man who's been sexually active with his stepmom, and then he confronts the rest of the church because they didn't do anything about it. They were like, well, it's not any of our business. Who are we to judge? In other words, this was a church, this was a culture, that had a lot of questions about sexuality and marriage, and if you should confront someone who's living an unbiblical lifestyle. But you know, the Bible's not relevant to our lives today, right? We don't ask those questions. Now, of course, I'm being sarcastic. And this is one of the things that I love about the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear people say things like this. The Bible's old. It's outdated. It's not relevant to our life today. If you ever hear someone say that about the Bible, I can almost guarantee you that they haven't read the Bible. Because when you read through the Bible, you'll see it touches on issues like pain and purpose, marriage, sex, dating, singleness, anger, debt, divorce, contentment, and happiness. It touches on all the issues that are relevant to your life and to my life today. One of the other things that I love about the Bible is its historicity. For example, Muhammad supposedly wrote the Quran when he had a vision while he was alone in a cave. Joseph Smith supposedly wrote the Book of Mormon, when he had a vision staring at some crystals that were in a hat. Buddha had his vision underneath a tree. The Bible is different. It's not based on a one-time vision. This is one of the things that sets Christianity and the Bible apart from every other world religion. It's not based on a one-time vision in a cave or under a tree. Despite being written by 40 authors over two continents and spanning thousands of years, The Bible is filled with accurate history. There are people and places and cities. In fact, look at what Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians. And usually we sort of breeze over these verses. But he says, "...when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, and perhaps I'll even spend the winter. Priscilla and Aquila, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings." The Bible has the ring of real life to it. There are letters and cities, travel plans, and greetings. In fact, we know a lot about the situation in Corinth that caused Paul to write this second letter to them. You see, after he wrote 1 Corinthians, the situation in the church deteriorated even more. False teachers moved into Corinth, and they began to teach that if you really have enough faith, If you really have enough faith, you will be healthy and wealthy. Therefore, they said, Paul was not a man of God. Because Paul's not wealthy, he's a tent maker, and he's not real healthy. He got imprisoned and beaten for sharing his faith in Christ. Therefore, they said, clearly God isn't with him. And so Paul had to write 2 Corinthians to defend his apostleship and to show that suffering is not a sign of God's disapproval. By the way, there are still false teachers like that who exist today. They will tell you that if you have enough faith in God, you will be healthy and wealthy. It's not true. Paul had neither health nor wealth. His life was full of trouble. And maybe you're here today and you're going, God, what did I do to deserve this? There's something in your life that has caused you to question if God loves you, if he cares about you, and if he would even want to be in a relationship with you. What I want you to hear today is this. Suffering is not a sign of God's disapproval. And if you have ever wondered if God wants to be in a relationship with you, his answer is, and always has been, yes. On October 18th, 2001, I asked my wife, Sarah, if she would marry me, but my proposal was a bit unconventional. I rented a U-Haul truck And I filled up the back with a couch, candles, 50 red roses, and pictures of Sarah and me. In retrospect, it looked like a Hindu shrine to Sarah, okay? (laughs) It's kind of what you should picture in your mind. And my plan was for my roommates to pick her up at her dorm room, and then while she rode in the back of this U-Haul, more on that in just a little bit, they would take her to different places that were significant in our relationship. And it was kind of like a scavenger hunt because each place would have a clue on where to get to the next stop. I can't believe I made Sarah ride in the back of a U-Haul truck by herself. (laughs) Apparently, this is like a 21-year-old college student's version of a limo, okay? But I remember thinking, there's a little window. She can see the driver up there. She'll be just fine. Thankfully, her best friend was at the second stop and rode with her the rest of the way. But like I said, this was a scavenger hunt to different places significant in our relationship. And so, for example, the first stop was at PV Plaza in downtown Minneapolis. And I had one of my roommates dressed up like a street person, and he was playing our song on his guitar. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that Sarah and my song was Phil Collins' It's a Groovy Kind of Love. <laughs> the next stop was a dock off of Lake Minnetonka that we had gone on several dates. And so as my roommates dropped Sarah off at the dock, I was at the end. And as she started running down towards me, my roommates drove over to wyzetta Beach, and they shot fireworks off over the lake. And so when the fireworks show was over, I got down on one knee, and I quoted from Psalm 37, verse 4, and it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I said, Sarah, for the last couple of years, I've been delighting myself in God, and you are the desire of my heart. Will you marry me? bam that's a pretty good proposal don't you think (laughs) I thought it was pretty good yeah thanks go ahead (laughs) can you imagine if she would have said no and that would have been a lot of effort for nothing but here's the deal I knew she was gonna say yes she had been dropping little hints like when are you gonna propose And so very subtle hints like that, that eventually I started to pick up on. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) And so I knew that she was going to say yes. As Paul begins his second letter to the people of Corinth, look at what he writes in chapter one. He says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Here's what Paul means by this verse. If you have ever wondered if God would want a relationship with you, his answer is yes. God doesn't waver. He doesn't go back and forth and go, yeah, yes, no, let's see how you're behaving next week. His answer to you has always been yes. Does God love you? Yes. Does God want a relationship with you? Yes. Will he forgive you? Yes. Does God want you back? Yes, he does. You don't have to wonder if God is going to say yes. Just like I knew that my wife Sarah was going to say yes before I even asked, you can know that God will say yes to you before you even ask as well. But all this raises the question, why bother? right? I mean, why bother renting a U-Haul, buying 50 Red Roses, and having your roommates shoot fireworks off over the lake? I mean, if you know she's going to say yes, just send her a text message. You know, hey, want to get married? I'm ready when you are, kind of thing. Here's why. I didn't plan an elaborate proposal because I was trying to twist Sarah's arm into saying yes to me. I planned an elaborate proposal because I loved her. And in the same way, you might wonder, well, if if God's already going to say yes, I mean, why bother? Why bother going to church? Why bother reading my Bible or obeying God? Here's why. We obey God not because we're trying to twist God's arm into saying yes to us. We obey God because we love God. In fact, he's already said yes to you. That's not even the question. The question is, will you say yes to him and that's the question I want to ask you today have you said yes to Jesus Christ has there been a moment in your life where you've come before God and you said yes God I really want to be in a relationship with you for some of us we've said yes but not fully yes God but I don't want to forgive that person that I know you want me to forgive Yes, God, but I don't want to break up with that person that I kind of know you want me to break up with. Yes, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I won't go there. This has been an age old struggle for human beings. In the Garden of Eden, God said yes to Adam and Eve. He said, Yes, you can eat from any tree in paradise except that one tree over there. That one is forbidden. Adam took one look at naked Eve and he said, Amen, Lord. Yes, I will do whatever you want me to do, except I won't. I won't stay away from the one tree that you've asked me not to eat from. And so what happened? Adam and Eve sin. God comes back into the garden and Adam and Eve hide from God. There are some of us here today who are still hiding from God. A couple months ago, I was weeding a flower bed at my house and I took a pile of weeds across the street and I dumped it into the tall grass. And honestly, I didn't know if this was my neighbor's property or if this was like county-owned wetlands or something, but I was dropping weeds into the weeds. And my old neighbors had never cared. It was quite a ways away from their house anyway. But last year, we got new neighbors. And so about 10 minutes after I had dumped these weeds, into the tall grass, I heard the wife of these new neighbors. And she yelled up to her husband who was standing on their driveway. She goes, hey, who dumped these weeds in here? And she's a fairly muscular woman. Like, I'm 50-50 if I could beat her in arm wrestling or not. And so I didn't hear what her husband said in response, but I saw her look up at my house. And I just knew that she knew. And so I did what my ancestors did. I hid. (laughs) I ducked behind my minivan and I peeked out, which is just a great picture, isn't it? Hiding behind your minivan. I then went into the house and I pulled all the shades and I told my kids, I said, just stay quiet for the next 10 minutes no matter what happens, okay? Now, I'm not proud of this, by the way, but my plan did not work because my son Micah was outside playing basketball in the driveway and he just threw me under the bus. I mean, he took no responsibility. He just walked inside and said, Dad, the neighbors want to talk to you. (laughs) So as I'm walking towards the door, I'm thinking in my head, Why do you care? I dumped weeds into the weeds. It's so far away from your house, I wasn't even sure if that was your property. But by the time I got to her, I knew what I needed to do. I needed to apologize and take responsibility. And so I did. I went and got my wheelbarrow, and I took the walk of shame. And it is a walk of shame because you just know they're watching you from the window the whole time that you do this. But isn't that the cycle that we get in with God? We sin. We justify our sin and we go, God, why do you even care? I'm not even hurting anyone else. Why, Why do you care about that, God? And then we feel shame and then we hide from God. If you're an addict, that cycle should sound pretty familiar to you. But for all of us, we do this. We do it with neighbors. We do it with God. But what if you knew you didn't have to hide anymore? What if you knew that you could come before God and you could confess your sin and his answer to you would be yes? Yes to forgiveness. Yes to new life. Yes to a fresh start. Paul says you know God's answer is gonna be yes. The question is, will you say yes to him? For some of us, though, it's not our sin and our hiding that keeps us away from God, it's our suffering. In fact, I mentioned earlier earlier that part of the reason that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians was because it was these false teachers who said that if you're suffering, that's a sign that God isn't with you. And that may sound like kind of a strange argument to you, until you realize that many of us give that argument to ourselves. We have said out loud or thought, God If you really loved me, you wouldn't have allowed that to happen. You wouldn't have allowed my dad to die. You wouldn't have allowed me to be abused or hurt in that way. You wouldn't have allowed me to be confused about my sexuality. God, if you really loved me, you would have healed me. You would have healed my mom. God, I prayed, I obeyed you. Why am I suffering? Paul must have wondered the answer to that question as he was shipwrecked on the way to Rome, as he was beaten and arrested because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul writes to us about suffering, he's not some theorist. He's not a college professor or something going, well, here's why you're suffering. He's lived this. He can empathize with your situation. Look at what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, all praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts. I love that. The God who comforts. Notice that Paul isn't so concerned with the why question. He's not asking, God, why am I suffering? Why did you allow this to happen? Because when you know the who the why doesn't matter as much. Let me say that again. When you know the who, the why doesn't matter as much. When you know the God who comforts, that's all you need. There are some of us here today who you are suffering. And I just want to ask you for a period of time to set aside the why question and start asking the who question. Who's going to get you through this? Who's going to comfort you? God, that's who, he is the God who comforts. In fact, look at what Paul writes in the next verse. He says, God comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. Again, Paul doesn't address why we're suffering. He says, I don't know the answer to that why question. But I do know the answer to a different why question. I know why God is comforting you it's so that you can comfort someone else. Friends, I don't know why you went through a divorce. But I do know why God comforted you through that. It's so that you can comfort someone else who's in a similar situation. I don't know why your parents died when you were younger, but I do know why God comforted you through that. It's so that you can comfort someone who's in a similar situation. I don't know why you lost your job, or your business went belly up, but I know why God comforted you through that. It's so that you can comfort a man or a woman who's going through that right now. Here's the deal. Your greatest misery can become your greatest ministry. Your pain can lead to your purpose. Who better to help a veteran home from war than another veteran who's been to war? Who better to help a child with special needs than another family that has a child with special needs. Who better to help someone going through a miscarriage than a woman who's had a miscarriage herself? I want to encourage you to go home today and write down the most painful moment in your life. And then in the other column, I want you to write down the name of one person who you know is going through that similar situation right now, you may have just discovered your ministry. You may have just discovered your pain driven purpose. Look at what Paul writes in verse 9. He says, but as a result, in other words, as a result of all this suffering, he says, we learn not to rely on ourselves but on God. Have you learned that by the way? Have you learned not to rely on yourself? and just try harder and put your head down, but to rely on God? It's a great day when you learn that. He says, and he, he's talking about God, and he did deliver us from mortal danger, and we are confident that he will continue to deliver us. He will rescue us. Notice the definitive language here. He did. He will. He will again. Paul was confident because he knew the end of the story. My daughter Isabel is six years old, and she currently hopes that she can live with Sarah and me for the rest of her life. And I'm not opposed to that. I mean, I could try and tell her that there's some guy out there who's bigger and stronger and smarter and better looking than I am, but she would never believe me. And frankly, it sounds a little far-fetched to me as well, just to be honest. But one of these days, she's going to come to me and she's going to say, Dad, I fell in love. And hopefully that's like 50 years from now when I'm dead, but it's going to happen. <laughs> and she's going to say, Dad, it's time for me to move on to what's next. This may seem a little far-fetched to some of you, but there is going to come a day when it's going to be time for you to move on to what's next. It's going to be time for you to move from earth Into eternity. And in that moment, I want you confident because you know the end of the story. The Bible says that human history will end with a groom and a bride. Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And we will celebrate something called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And in that moment, for all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, we will enter into eternity with no more pain, tears, or suffering. So Paul says he will rescue us. He will deliver us. There are some of us here today who you have pain. You need to know that your pain will not last forever. But there is coming a day when there will be no more pain. He will rescue you. Some of us have tears. You need to know that your tears will not be shed forever. There is coming a day when there will be no more tears. He will deliver you. Some of us are suffering. Your suffering will not last forever. There is coming a day when there will be no more suffering. He will rescue you, which is why Paul writes this. He says, you can be sure that the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. About six years ago now, I was at the groundbreaking of our Blaine campus. And as our senior pastor, Bob Merritt, was praying, my cell phone started to ring. And it rang like five times in a span of 30 seconds. And so when Bob was done praying, I checked my phone and it was my wife. And I just knew something was wrong. And so I called her back and she was out of breath she said, get home. Hudson just had a seizure. My son Hudson was two years old at the time. And so I got in the car and I raced down Lexington and I flew into our driveway and when I got into the house, Hudson was lying on his back with a blanket over him. He looked so helpless. What had happened was he had a fever that spiked up real quickly and it sent him into a seizure. My wife Sarah was home with him at the time, and he started making these crazy noises, and his eyes rolled into the back of his head, and then he was unconscious pretty much until the paramedics arrived. Being a father in a situation like that, and many of you who are parents could probably relate to this, but being a father in a situation like that, when you start to wonder, is my son gonna die? has taught me so much about the love of God. John 3:16 says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We've heard that verse so many times, we've just become numb to it. But hear this again. God so loved us. He so loved you. That he sent his one and only son to die for you. I can't imagine sending my son to die. I can't even imagine watching my son suffer. But God the Father, he watched. He watched as the nails were driven into Jesus' wrists and into his feet. He watched as he was beaten and his spine was exposed as flesh and blood was ripped away. He watched as Jesus gasped for his last breath. And Paul says he watched because all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Does God love you? Yes. He sent his one and only son to die for you. What more could you ask for? Can you live forever? Yes. Jesus Christ defeated death once and for all. Will God forgive you? Yes. Jesus Christ paid the penalty that our sins deserved. All the promises of God find their yes in him. The Bible says that God promises to give us a new heart. He promises that he will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. He will supply our needs. He will provide us with peace, protection, And guidance. And the Bible says that there is coming a day when there will be no more tears, pain, or suffering. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. God has said yes to you. The question is will you say yes to Him? You know, for many of you, the answer to that question is yes, I have but even though you've said yes to Christ doesn't mean that you're immune from the sufferings of this life. And so I would encourage you this week, write down that most painful moment and then write down another person who's going through that right now. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. In fact, next weekend's message is titled, Do Not Lose Heart. So many people in the world today losing heart over what's going on in the world or what's going on in their own life. Why not let God use you this week to lift that person up and to help them not lose heart and all it takes is an invitation to come to church? There are others of you here who you said yes to God, but not fully. You said, yes, God, but I don't want to do that. Yes, God, I'll give up everything, but I don't want to give up that. Yes, God, I'll do anything you want, but just not that. And I'm praying today that God would give you the courage to come before him and say, Yes, Lord, everything I have, everything I am, it's yours. My answer is yes. There are others of you here today who are watching this message online. And if you're honest, you have never had a moment in your life where you've come before God and you've said, yes, I want to be in a relationship with you, God, yes. And maybe you just thought that God never would want to be in a relationship with you. Maybe you thought he forgot about you or your sin was too much. And you needed to hear today that that's not true. Maybe you've just ignored God for years and you've just kind of lived your life I believe that today God brought you to church or has you listening to this message for a reason. He has said yes to you. The question is, will you say yes to him? And I believe that for many of you, you will. Because you have heard that today all these promises of God find their yes in him, but the only way to have access to those promises is when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. And I'm going to give you an answer to, a chance to say yes if you pray this prayer with me for the very first time I want you to do one of two things I want you as you leave church today to go out into your lobby and there's a sign that says next steps at all of our campuses just go there and tell the person standing by it I said yes and we don't want anything from you we just want something for you we want to get you started in this relationship in the right way we don't want you just to pray a prayer and then go on living your life as you always lived it so we've got some free things we want to give you to get you started right. If that's not an option for you, you can text the word believe to 555-888. If you're watching this message online, you can do that as well. But let's remain seated and let's pray. And for many of you, this is going to be your chance to say yes to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray for that person here who, they've said yes to you, but not fully. They've said yes, but just sort of. There's something in their life that they're saying, God, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to do that. And God, I pray that right now that they would have the courage to say, God, everything I am, all that I have, it's yours. My answer is yes. God, there are other people here today who they didn't know They didn't think you would ever want to have a relationship with them. They thought for whatever reason you forgot about them or they just sinned too much and they were too far gone. God, I thank you that you brought them to church today so they could hear about your love and that your answer is yes. And God, I'm going to lead them in a prayer right now and they're just going to pray quietly in their own heart. Jesus, I want to be in a relationship with you. I say yes. Yes to new life. Yes to your love. Yes to your grace. Yes to forgiveness. God, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all of the years that I have just ignored you and not thought about you and just live for myself. God, I thank you that you're still willing to say yes to me. And today I say yes to you. God, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross, that he defeated death, and that one day I will defeat death as well and live with you forever in paradise. God, I look forward to that day. But until that day comes, I will obey you, I will trust you, I will live my life for you, God. My answer is, is yes. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, text Believe or stop off of the next steps. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.